You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. There's been a pandemic. There have been protests. Sometimes it's hard to even remember what the world was like before now. And yet the gospel is still good news. And heaven still rejoices over the number one. To make Jesus known, we each have to start with one lost person. Think about it. If I were to ask you who's your one, would you have an answer? I know it's hard. Your one might be someone hiding in plain sight. And sometimes, let me tell you about Jesus, just doesn't feel like the most natural way to have a conversation. But we're in this together. Tens of thousands of believers have found their one, and you can learn from them. Listen, everyone is talking about how the world has changed, but one person sharing Christ with one other person, that is real change. And it comes when you answer the question, who's your one? Jesus never told the world to go to church. But Jesus did tell the church to go to the world. And one of us is failing. I think too often we expect the world to go to the church when instead we need to have the expectation for the church to go to the world with the message of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And over the last four weeks, we've been challenging, we've been teaching, we've been encouraging and inspiring you and I to ask God for who is our one. Some of you are sitting next to your one. For the last four weeks, you and I took these little cards, these perforated cards, we wrote down a name that we were going to pray for every single day, that not only would they come to church, but more importantly, that they would meet Jesus, that their life would be forever transformed by Jesus. This morning, we spent time praying over that cross with 75 names on it. Just think about that. There are 75 people whose lives could forever be changed, and you and I could be a part of that. You and I get to see their eternal destiny forever changed. That's huge. Just imagine what could happen in our city if this week you and I invited one person to church, that we took these little cards. There's about 90 to 95 of us. If we took these little cards, next week there'd be 180 of us. And let's say those 180, they brought one. All of a sudden now I'm homeschooled, but that's a little bit shy of 400 people. That's about 360 people. And those 360 people, they bring their one. Now we're closer to just shy of seven of 800 people, and then 1,600, and then 30-some, 30, 3,400. I'm going to stop counting because I'd have to take off my shoes to start helping me to count. But understand the numbers would keep growing. And that's what God wants for his church. God wants to see people saved. He wants to depopulate hell and populate heaven. He wants to make San Jose a city that is hard to go to hell from because of our light and our witness. And so over the last several weeks, we've been really trying to encourage you and I to witness. But this week, I want to equip you. Because I think it's one thing uh, when, when you finally meet somebody, you're like, okay, they, they, they want to go to church, then what? It's like the first time when I went fishing. There was an old catch and release off the 101. You could see it just before Metcalf Roads, an old catch and release, release fishing pond. It's since gone. Any of you ever fished at the old catch and release fishing pond off of Metcalf and the 101 right there? Hey, there we go. Yeah, I remember going there. And I remember catching my fish, you know, and uh, I was sitting there and I caught, I was all excited. I caught a fish, I caught a fish. And I didn't know what to do with it after that. I was like, I caught it. Now what? And I'm like, well, take it off the hook. We got to throw it back. And I was like, well, how do you take it off the hook? You know, and it's, it's wiggling, it's flopping around. And I think some of us, that's where we're stuck. We're like, I want to tell people about Jesus. I have the desire to, but I don't know how to do that. Like, like how do you tell somebody about Jesus? And so today, that's what I want to dive into. And if you have a copy of God's word, go to the book of Luke, chapter number 19. Luke 19. Because we are trying to get our passion for people back. You know God's passion is for people. That's God's passion, is for people. But sadly, the people of God have lost our passion for the lost people. 
And we need to get our passion back for the people that are here, the people that are in our neighborhoods, the people that are at our workplaces. There's a lot of problems going on in our world today. And Jesus is the answer. And many of you may see, think that's an oversimplification, but it truly is not. People need Jesus. And so for the church, we see that telling people about Jesus is not a calling, it's a command. And I think too often we as Christians kind of think, well, that's for the pastors to go tell people, the life group leaders, the ministry leaders, that's their job to tell people. But each and every one of us have a command to tell people about Jesus. That's what we're commanded to do. That's why our theme at our church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. And so we are lost if we don't care about the lost people. So we've made it our mission, our agenda to reach people for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 19, we see a story that I think resonates with so many of us. And we'll find ourselves in this story and be encouraged. Notice if you would, Luke 19, verse number one. The Bible says this. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. You say, Pastor, I don't identify. Well, I know. We keep going. Stay with me. Verse 3. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not see because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. There we go. We can identify. At least I can. Some of you can't. Now, verse number 5. And when Jesus came, oh, verse number 4, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, would you meet with us? Without your divine help, divine power, there is no change that can happen. I'm like a light that is in a lamp that is not plugged into the wall. I have no power. I have no help. I have no strength. So, Father, I need to plug into the power this morning. I need to be connected to you. Our church needs to be connected to you because there's 75 names on that cross that they are on their way to an eternity without Christ. And so, Father, this morning we plead for them. Father, we intercede on their behalf. We pray that you would send them someone who will tell them about Jesus. And, Father, may that one be us. May we rise to the occasion to tell people about Jesus. May they find their hope and they, may they find their salvation in you. Maybe they're searching, maybe they're looking, and they can't find what they need. But Lord, when they come in contact with Jesus, their life can be forever changed. So help us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this passage for so many reasons. Many of them because I like verse number seven. Let's put it back up on the screen, verse number seven. Because the Bible says that Jesus, he meets Zacchaeus, and then he says to Zacchaeus, hey, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus is all excited that Jesus, this famous guy that he's heard all about, that's been traveling all over these Judean hills, this guy who's done all kinds of miracles, that everywhere Jesus went, there was a miracle that followed. He raised the dead. Jesus gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the the death, Jesus made a couple loaves and a few fishes and he fed 20,000 people. He didn't just do it once, he did it twice. There was a man who walked on water that Jesus, wherever he showed up, there was a miracle that followed. Something exciting happened. And so this person, Jesus, just said, hey, I want to go to your house. And Zacchaeus is like, that's right. You all don't like me, but guess who's coming to my house? Jesus is coming over. And he was all excited. But then the crowd began to mumble something, didn't they? They began to mumble and complain because they said, does Jesus know where he's going? Because you got to understand, uh, Zacchaeus is worse than IRS. And I apologize if you work for the IRS. But what I'm saying is Zacchaeus, when it came to collecting your taxes, 
It wasn't, hey, you pay your fair share. It was you paid whatever he did, thought you should pay. That's how it worked. So if he wanted to take as much from you as he wanted to, he had the Roman government at his beck and call. So he got to take from you whatever he wanted. And it was arbitrary what your taxes were. It wasn't like you could go to your tax preparer and say, hey, what do I need to pay this year? And they would say, we don't know because Zacchaeus is coming. He'll take whatever he wants. All right. So that's how it would work. So people hated Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, which meant that he had a business, not like H&R Block, he had a different type of business that he would have all these employees who worked for him because he couldn't cover the entire city of Jericho and the entire surrounding area. So he had his employees that they would show up at your door and think of it more like the mafia, that it was a shakedown for your taxes. So Zacchaeus was hated. And all the people were like, I can't believe Jesus would go to Zacchaeus' house. But what I love is Zacchaeus, we, we don't really have, I mean, Bernie Madoff may be the closest idea of Zacchaeus that we can possibly imagine in recent years. And I don't think any good feelings come up in our minds when we think of Bernie Madoff. But that's kind of who Zacchaeus was. And imagine this, Jesus walking along, Jesus saw something that nobody else saw. The crowd didn't see Zacchaeus. The disciples didn't see Zacchaeus. Who saw Zacchaeus? Jesus saw him. Jesus is always looking for the lost sheep. Jesus is always looking for the one who's not even really looking for him. Jesus is looking. And you may be here today, and I'm telling Jesus has been looking for you. There are 75 names on this cross that Jesus is looking for them. Jesus wants to see them saved. And you and I, if Jesus is looking for them, then you and I need to be looking for people. I find that oftentimes I will find things when I go on that search. We have a couple kids in our house, and it's amazing. They can never seem to find anything. Do your kids have this problem? My kids have this problem. Go get your homework. Go get your shoes. Go get your socks. You know, it's just like they can't ever find anything. They're always like, where is it? And then you go in there, and then you find it right away. It was right there on the bed, right where they left it, you know. But here, Christians have a hard time finding people that need Jesus. I think that's so odd. I think it's so odd that we go to our place of employment. We're like, no, nobody here needs Jesus. We go to the supermarket. Everybody here looks good. We go to uh, our places of entertainment. We go out. We go into the community. We go into the city. And we're like, everybody's good. They're not. Christians have stopped looking for the lost. And sometimes the lost are up in trees. Sometimes they're in out-of-the-way places. You know, one of the most searched Google searches is these three top searches. First of all, it is loneliness. Second, suicide. And and third has to do with adult pictures. Those are the top three rated search on Google. Doesn't that tell you that where people are hiding? That people need something? And you and I, we have it. And we just kind of sit around and we just think, man, this is great. Or we're more like the people that are judging Jesus that he's going to go talk to these people that need him. Because Jesus said, hey, I'm not here to create a hotel. I'm here to create a hospital. And the sick people need the hospital. So write this down if you're taking notes. I love that Jesus built bridges, not barriers. The church is really good at putting up barriers. You got to look a certain way, act a certain way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, can we stop with the barriers and start building more bridges to people? You know, I'll tell you some things. I've put myself in uncomfortable environments simply because I'm saying, wait a minute. It's not, I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to compromise here. But there's some people that I'm going to spend time with because I want them to know Jesus loves them. Now, Jesus is looking for some Christians to just say, hey, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to tell people that Jesus loves them. And so sometimes we're going to be called to places. This is where we have people called missionaries that they will leave the comfort of the United States of America and they will go to some third world country. And I'm so excited that we're kind of getting wrapped up with the COVID so we can go back to taking mission trips because our church is all about taking mission trips. And we've got agencies that are saying, hey, you guys coming back? And we're like, yes, we're coming back because there are people that need the Lord. And so we've got to be the church that says, hey, we're here to build bridges, not barriers. And we want to help people find Jesus. We want people to know that there is hope outside of their hurts. You see, Jesus was the only one who noticed the man in the tree. And I find that hard to believe because I don't too often find Pastor Missile up in trees. I don't too often find my wife up in trees. So you'd think people would notice the man up in a tree, but the scripture doesn't tell us anybody else noticed. 
So we've got to be on the prowl and say, hey, how do, we, how, how do we not see that? We've got to train our eyes to see people that are hurting, see people that are lonely. So when you go to work and you see the person sitting by themselves, ignore social distancing. Be like, hey, can, there's a big table. You mind if I sit over here? Get to know the person. Say hello. Say, how are they, how are they doing? Talk to them. Build a relationship. Jesus started his evangelism was relational. You understand that, right? Because Jesus said, hey, I'm going to show them another side because the law condemned them. But Jesus said, I'm going to love them. And they felt that love. And that love is what draw them to him. Too often we as Christians can kind of be like, hey, we're better than you. And I'm here to tell you, because we have Christ, our life is better. That is true. But it does not mean we're better than people. Because I have Jesus in my life, my life is better. Now, it doesn't mean I have a nicer car than you. It doesn't mean I have a better uh, bank account than you. It does mean I may have a better spouse. That is probably true. Uh, I do think that is better. So uh, uh, sorry there. But for the most of my, I got to score points wherever I can, folks. Like, hey, wherever you can just drop and score those points, right? And so uh, don't judge, all right? And uh, so Jesus oftentimes would want us to say, hey, yes, my life is better because of Jesus. Why? Because now I have a hope that gets me through the storm. Because we're all going to go through the storms. We're all going to go through the difficulties. But I've got a rock to rest on. I've got something that will help me when I'm going through a dry and dreary land. That I say, no, Jesus is with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, we walk alongside with somebody. And the world is crazy today. So to not have Jesus, that's the hardest thing. Now, I do know people, they, they, as soon as they get converted, they say, man, I gave my life to Christ. My life got harder. Yeah, it's not easy. That's what first century church went through. Our brothers and sisters in the other parts of the world, that's what they go through. There are people this morning, they have to, in secret, go to church. I know, I know it was raining. It's kind of hard to get out when it's raining and everything, and I commend you for that. But that's the least of our troubles here in the United States. And we should thank God that we could walk in with our Bibles. We could walk in on a Sunday morning and say, I'm going to the house of the Lord. And the house of the Lord may not always look like a church with a steeple. The house of the Lord is where God's people are, that I'm going to gather together. We're going to sing songs of praise. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our friends that don't know Jesus Christ. And we're going to ask God to move on their behalf. And we gather together. But here's this man, Zacchaeus. And I love that his name means righteous one. But he's not righteous. I love that we meet a man who's financially rich but spiritually bankrupt. And here Jesus sees that man out of all the crowd. He says, that's the one I'm going to reach. I'm going to go after the hardest. And I love that Jesus went after the hardest people because there's some hard people in this room this morning. You are resisting Jesus calling right now. I believe and I prayed this morning for you that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart. And right now you're a hard person. You've got a wall up. You're not letting anything get up. You're hardcore. You're tough. You're strong. And you're saying, nah, this preacher ain't going to get to me. And you're right. I never will, but the Holy Spirit can. And that's what I'm praying, that the Holy Spirit would begin to prick and speak to your heart. And so here, we want to see as Jesus began to change this man's life, and this man has an evident change in his life. He said, Jesus, if I've defrauded anybody, and that's kind of funny that he said if, when everybody's like, yeah, no, you did for sure. You for sure defrauded us. He said, I will repay you four times. In the culture in that day, you only had to pay somebody back if you got caught. That was the only way you had to pay somebody back. And if you got caught, you only had to pay double. So he's taking the law and he's saying, hey, I'm going to go beyond the law and I'm going into grace. You can only give grace if you've received grace. You can't give grace if you've never received it. He received grace. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's how we know this man got saved. He was giving grace. He said, hey, I stole from you. I stole from you. I stole, I stole from everybody right here. You know, that's, that was Zacchaeus. He just stole from everybody. And he was saying, hey, guess what? Come to my house because I'm not just going to pay you double for your trouble. I'm going to give you four times what I owe you. That is the grace of God working through a person. His life was radically changed. You see, when you got saved, there was a radical change. It wasn't just that your eternal address changed. It was that everything inside of you changed. Or it should be. Are you a changed person? Zacchaeus is a radically changed person. But it affected his very heart. And the heart was his pocketbook. He said, hey, I'm going to give that back. I'm, I'm going to give my wealth away. I want to see change. And too often, we... Get saved, but we don't go that next level and say, you know what? My life needs to look different too. 
People have an expectation for us to live differently. But when it comes to building bridges, not barriers, many of you are like, Pastor, I get it. But how do I do that? Because it just seems like I'll talk to somebody and then I'll get stuck. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah, okay, pastor, so I've got this passion. I'm fired up. I'm going to go tell somebody. This afternoon, I'm going to go find me some person. I'm going to stop them, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. What do I say to them? And I'm glad you asked. If you have a Bible, go to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. The verse says, for the wages of sin is death. I want to give you a verse because we're going to go to school for a second, okay? And, and I hope this doesn't offend you, but we're going to go to school for a second. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, excuse me, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. When you and I are witnessing to a person, start here. Okay? You say, why is it important to start here? Because we need to understand why we need to be saved. Because salvation means I'm being saved from something. And I'm being saved from death. Why do I need to be saved from death? Because of wages. What wages? You and I work a job, we get a paycheck. You see, when we sinned, we're getting a paycheck. That paycheck is separation from God for all eternity. That's it. You say, what do you mean? What sin did I commit? It's found right here in the word sin. And let me circle it right there. The word I, it's because you are in control of your life. That is what's the problem. And when you are witnessing with somebody, you take on a napkin, you can do this. Each and every one of you, you can share the gospel. This is, this is how you share with somebody, how they understand that I'm not just getting saved to say yes to Jesus. And too often, we compromise on the truth that they are being saved from the wages of their sin. Their sin has separated them from God. And you say, how do I witness somebody? And so you start there. And then you do a little drawing. Bust out your artwork, okay? And then you draw. You can do this on a napkin. You all can do this. If I can do it, you can do it, all right? There used to be a TV commercial, if a caveman can do it. And then we're going to put a little guy over here, a little stick figure. And then we're going to put God over here. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. That's what religion is. It's why do you go to church? Well, I'm trying to get to God. Well, church isn't going to get you there. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to try to go to church, and it's like stacking up good works. And you're just trying to stack up, but it's never going to get you to cross the chasm because the wages of sin is death. So there's no way. Why? Because you're in control of your life. It's all about you. So you explain to the person you're going to witness to. You say, hey, the Bible says, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And you break that down. Now, let me see your hands in the audience this morning. Any of you, your parents ever spank you? I'm seeing. All right. We're all the ones that need therapy. Okay, there we go. I got spanked a lot. All right. I'm telling you. I woke up every single day, and this was the thought on my mind. I wonder what I'm going to do today to get a spanking. Like, I just wonder. My parents were very concerned about how many times they were spanking me. They were very concerned when I was a little boy. They were like, we really were worried about you. I didn't know this. They shared this story with me. They said, so we'd pick you up as a little boy, set you in front of a mirror, and we'd speak affirmations to you. We'd be like, Micaiah is a good boy. And I'd just smile. Micaiah's going to do right. And then have you ever seen that gif of that girl that has that evil smirk? And I'd do that. I was like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm about to set this house on fire is what I'm going to do. And uh, I kid you not, that was one of my escapades, setting the house on fire. That was one. Uh, drinking a bottle of children's Tylenol because I liked the grape flavor. That was another one of my escapades. Yeah, I got my stomach pumped at Santa Teresa Kaiser. That was fun. My parents spanked me, then took me to the hospital. All right, I was like, oh, I'm suffering enough. I'm about to die. My, my intestines are dying on me, and I'm going to the hospital. But stop and spank me. Sure, that makes sense. I'm telling the doctor, no, I'll spank you more. I'm not telling the doctor. All right, let's go. That was my life growing up. Now, I had a lot of friends, but can I tell you this? I never had a friend that said, hey, Micaiah, the next time you're about to get a spanking, call me up. I'll come over and I'll take your spankings for you. Did any of you have that friend? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? A spanking is nothing compared to the sting of death on the cross. Can we all agree? Jesus took your spanking, but it was worse than a spanking. He took God's wrath. Yeah. Imagine God's wrath. 
Can you picture God's wrath? In Genesis chapter number six, we get a picture of God's wrath. God destroyed the whole earth in a flood. That was God's wrath. He later destroyed a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. That was God's wrath. So those are just small little pictures of God's wrath. So the Bible says that Jesus received the wrath, the full wrath of God. I mean, if you're like me, good German, you know how to get mad with the best of them. Man, your wrath can, oh yeah. So imagine the wrath of God and his wrath is a just wrath. His wrath is just when he sees innocents die. His wrath is just when he sees children abused. His wrath is just when he sees injustice. His wrath is just. Nobody will say to God that his wrath is wrong. Everybody will say, oh, no, no, they deserve that, his justice. But Jesus stepped in and Jesus said, God, because that's the rest of the verse. For the wages of sin is death, but, and I love the buts of the Bible. The Bible has some good buts. But the gift of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And you write the word Christ our Lord. Now, many of you know Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know that, right? And if you didn't, now you know. Joseph's last name, Mary's last name was not Christ. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. It means the chosen one. So the Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Lord means ruler. So it means no longer is it about me. It's about God. That when I receive God, he's taking place. But I've got to receive that. So here's what you do on your napkin. You draw out a cross and you show them that Jesus paid my price so that I could have fellowship with God. And I know it's silly to do it on a little drawing, but we're visual people. And all of us can sit on a, a, write down, sit down with somebody, write on a napkin and say, hey, here's how you can be saved. Here's what you need to know. You need to know for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And would, are you ready to receive that gift? And you ask the question. Many of you will get this far and you'll never ask the question, are you ready to receive that gift? How terrible is it to get to Christmas Day and you got your kids out, you come out Christmas morning and say, kids, look at the tree. It's beautiful, isn't it? Look at the presents. Isn't it beautiful? Look at the train going around the presents. Isn't that beautiful? And some of you are like, yeah, Santa Claus brought it. Some of you are like, oh no, he don't get the credit. I paid for that. Santa Claus does not get no credit. That was my credit card that paid for all those gifts. And you're like, isn't it great? All right, pack it up. We're not going to open the presents. Your kids will be like, what? So telling people all this, but not asking them the question, hey, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ, your Savior? And that's where a lot of us stop because we get scared. We get nervous. We let the devil step in. We let thoughts like, man, what are they going to think? Because you've got to work with this person. You've got to live with this person. You're going to see them tomorrow. This is your neighbor. You don't want to have a bad relationship with your neighbor. How much worse is it that this person spent eternity in hell? This week, I've been praying a prayer. God, give me boldness to witness. God, give me boldness to witness. And God, whoever you tell me to witness to, I'm just going to do it. And so I was driving out of Costco, and I saw a lady. She was pushing a shopping cart with a bunch of water bottle, and, and heavy water bottle, a little old lady with her puppy. And God was like, there's one. And I was like, no, there isn't. It's wet. It's cold. It's not, she's not the one. I'm, gonna, I'm looking for another one in a warm office at a Starbucks, preferably, and somebody with a Bible, maybe. You know, somebody that looks ready. And he's like, that's the one. And I was like, no, kept on driving. And the Holy Spirit began to burn in my heart. And you say, God talks to you? Yes. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yes, I hear God's voice. Is it audible? No, it's not audible. But I feel that prompting. And you do too. If you'll obey it, he'll speak more. Man, I pulled up over and I got out of the car and I couldn't find a parking. I have a big old truck. You know how hard it is to park in these new neighborhoods? Because the parking space is for like Dumb and Dumber's moped. That's what can fit in these parking spots. That's all that fits. Whoever makes these parking spots, they are laughing at people with any normal size vehicle. All right, I know. Maybe I'm killing the planet. I apologize. All right, I'll eat more cows and we'll get rid of more methane gas and that type of stuff to make up for it. So I get out. And now I've got to hike a long way. And I'm like, that lady. And I'm praying the whole time as I'm walking over. I was like, please be in your house already. Please be in your house already. Please be in your house already. He said, that's terrible for a pastor to think. I think what you would think. I'm like, God, I'm going to do this, but hopefully she's there. And she sat down to take a break. I was like, oh, man, now I have to talk to her. Oh, my goodness. So I grabbed one of these out. And I like these. We've got other ones, but I like these. You know why I like these ones? Because not only does it say we're back and we want you back, but on the back, it's got scripture verses. 
these scripture verses that maybe they'll read it later on. And I believe the Holy Spirit can speak anytime because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so, man, I went over and I started to talk to her. And I, what I did, because the best way to reach somebody with the gospel is try to do something nice. You don't just come out of man of confrontational. I didn't walk up to this little old lady like, you look like you're going to hell. <laughs> For sure. That little ugly dog, you're definitely going to hell. <laughs> like, get a real dog. Yapper. Man, what is up? And a Raiders sweater? Like, I don't even know if I want to witness to you. Like... <laughs> I got standards. Jesus has standards. Man, do you hear what happened to your coach? I mean, come on now, you know. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the spirit is leaving the room. He done left. I'm getting death stares from the Raider fans. I have Raider keys and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I said, hey, can I help you carry your water bottles to your car? And she was like, wow, that is so nice of you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do it. And she was like, but I live right there. I'm just sitting here feeding my dog some dog trips. I was like, dodge that bullet. And then I was like, but the hard work came. It's like, hey, my name is Makai. I'm a pastor of a church. I don't know if you go to church, but I'd love to invite you to my church. And then at that moment is my moment to talk to her about Jesus. Did she accept it? No. But was the seed planted? Yes. But you and I can all do that. You and I can all do that. You see, and that sets the seed so that can help somebody because we on our own can't cross this chasm. Nobody can. And the world is trying. You have good neighbors. You have good coworkers. But here's the thing. Understand, heaven is not filled with good people. It's filled with forgiven people. Not good people. You and I need to be forgiven for our sins. You and I need to understand it was my sin and your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And so heaven is not filled with good people. So when you hear somebody say, well, I'm going to do good works, you say, hey, hell is filled with good people. And I didn't mean that to be a joke. That is for real. And that is sad, isn't it? It is heaven that is filled with a bunch of people who said, I'm like Zacchaeus. I cheated. I defrauded. I was an embezzler. I was a sinner. I was wrong. I was guilty. And I was climbing a tree because I just wanted to see what this Jesus was all about. And in that moment, Jesus looked up and he saw me and he said, you, I'm coming to your house. And he was thinking, I've never had any religious person, any spiritual leader ever want to come to my house. And here the king of kings, the Lord of lords wants to come to my house. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come to your house, not your zip code, not your address, but your heart. And he wants your heart to be his home. And Jesus wants to send the Holy Spirit into your life and to clean up house, change your desires, to change your future. If you will receive him, if you will admit that, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am guilty of death, separation from God. But Jesus in his love and praise God for his great love. And that's why I can be a part of the family of God. And I've got to make a decision to cross over this ugly cross drawing. And I've got to come over to the side of God. But it's only through Christ. It's not through my good works, my good looks, and my bank account, or my spouse, or me coming to church today. It is only by the precious blood of Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins. I find it so amazing that Zacchaeus was climbing a tree. And this tree changed his life twice. You say, why? Zacchaeus was climbing a tree, and Jesus said, come down. And it's interesting that Jesus' last greatest act was to get on a tree. He said, Zacchaeus, you come off that tree. You can't earn it, Zacchaeus. Hey, friend, I may not know you, but I'm telling you, some of you are trying to work your way to heaven. I'm saying, come down off that tree. You can't do the work that only Jesus can do. Jesus went to that cross. He died for you. He paid the penalty. And you and I just have to receive it, to admit we're a sinner, to receive his forgiveness, and to confess him as Lord. What does Lord mean? It means ruler. It means the one in charge. It means that I don't own myself anymore. My wife doesn't own me. Praise Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, it's, it's, she gets one, I take one. That's how it works, okay? All right? So it's got to be a two-way street. I'm getting dirty looks from the Raiders fan and the wives in the room. I'm an equal rights offender. But here's what's powerful. He came to Christ because of the influence of one individual. It wasn't a disciple. It wasn't the crowd. 
It was one individual. You have tremendous impact on one. Let me give you something else. We're running out of time. But there are six styles of evangelism. There's confrontational evangelism. You heard my story talking to a little old lady, and you're saying, Pastor, I could never do that. And you're right. Some of you couldn't. I have the gift of evangelism. I'm going to teach on this later in our next series about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I have all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has. Because all spiritual gifts are found in the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are born again, we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have all the gifts. So though you may not be comfortable with the way I am in confrontational evangelism, walking up to a stranger, some of you are. Some of you have no problem walking up to a stranger. You have no problem walking up to a stranger and saying, hey, your zipper's down. Some of you are that way. I'm not. I'll tell you about Jesus, but I ain't telling you about your zipper. That's on you. That's, some of you are like, that's messed up. That's cold. I'm just that person. I'm just like, I don't even want to act like I noticed, you know? Or, or you got the long nose hair coming out. I'm like, I'm ignoring that too. Yep, not doing that. Or you got food in the beard. I'm, I'm not doing that. I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not that person. Uh, just, uh, that's just the way I roll. But when it comes to Jesus, I'm confrontational. Some of you are invitational. You're invitational. You will invite people to church and you will pray the church will preach on a salvation message that that person will receive Christ. And that's fine too. Some of you are confrontation, invitational. Some of you are testimonial. You say, what do you mean testimonial? It's a testimony where you say, hey, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was an addict, but now I live in sobriety. Hey, I once was an offender, and now I'm not. I once was this, but now I'm not. That's a testimony, and your testimony can be powerful. Some of you just sharing your testimony, how there's been a change, that right there can lead people to Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee, came to this area known as the, uh, the Gadarenes, he met a, a crazy man with demons. And then the next moment he receives Christ, he's sitting right in his mind. He's clothed in his right mind. And he wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, stay here and tell your family. Because they need to know your testimony. This is why it's so important for Christians to live a way that would honor Christ. Because we got a testimony, a changed life. This is what's so important that we lived a changed life. So some of you are confrontational, invitational, testimonial. Some of you are relational. Some of you, when it comes to seeing somebody saved, we're talking about over the next five weeks leading somebody to Jesus, and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to spend a couple years with this person. I want to challenge you to not wait a couple years to present the gospel like we did here. Don't wait that long. But some of you, you want to build a strong relationship. And then as you built that relationship, then you're going to say, hey, you know, I've been praying for you, and I want to talk to you about spiritual things. Can I do that? And you're going to wait for him. And some of you take a long time. And that's okay. All of these are okay. What's important is you and I are evangelizing. You and I are telling people about Jesus. So there's confrontational, invitational, testimonial, relational. But not only that, we've got intellectual. Some of you are what I would call an apologist. This is what Paul did on Mars Hill. You may meet somebody who says, hey, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Mormon, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, I'm of some other cult, or uh, I'm into uh, Islam, or whatever, and you will sit there, you will open the Bible, and you will show them how the Bible is true, not that they are wrong, but their belief is wrong. And some of you, you, you have the intellect for that, you know the knowledge of the Bible, but that's not everybody. And some of you like to do that. that. That's your approach. It's an intellectual approach. Paul had that approach, that intellectual approach. And then some of you are acts of service. And this is our church. This is the heartbeat of our church. It's why, it's not that we think everybody needs a backpack, a Christmas tree, a turkey, and a bicycle. It's not, it's not that we think that. But we know acts of service open the doors of the heart. And when the heart is open, it's ready to receive that truth that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so we lead with that as a body. So we will do things to lead with that. Even the churros today. It's not that we all think we need churros. It's we're trying to make it easy to say, hey, we're going to serve your guests. When they come, there'll be some churros for them. And I heard that I thought it was two hours of unlimited churros. It's not. It's only 200 churros. So some of you could do me a favor and not eat your churros so I could have yours. Be No, I'm just kidding. But we're trying to do things. Why? Because we want you to know that we will serve your friends and family you're trying to lead to Jesus. We want them to know that we, and I got it from John Maxwell. Have you ever heard of him? He said, touch a heart before you ever ask for a hand. Do something for them first. And maybe that's your approach. But whatever your approach, make the approach. We, as a church, have a command to tell people about Jesus. Jesus never commanded the, church, uh, the world to go to the church, but he did command the church to go to the world. And to tell them about Jesus Christ. 
And we got to end, but let me give you this last thought. The gospel means good news. When I was growing up, I lived in Fresno, and I had a paper route. I hated that paper route because I had to get up early. And I'd get up early because the papers had to be delivered by a certain time. Because in that day, there would be a truck that would come by and drop off a big stack of papers. You'd fold them up, you'd put a rubber band. If it was raining like today, you'd slip it in a bag so it didn't get wet. That's what I had to do at 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. And then I would hit my neighborhood. I got chased by dogs, bit by dogs. We'd do it on rollerblades back in the day. It was a 90s thing. Cruising around in rollerblades, throwing, throwing papers. And we had these, these packs that we'd have. And man, if we didn't get the papers delivered by 7 a.m., we would get complaints and we'd lose our paper route. The news had to be delivered by a certain time. Imagine if I just said, I don't feel like it. it's a Saturday morning. I want to sleep in. I'm not going to give the news. I will double up on Sunday. Sunday, I will give them the news and they'll get yesterday's news and today's news. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Imagine if I would have done that. On September 11th, 2001, all of a sudden, it's no longer good news if it comes too late. You know, every one of us have an expiration date. Our bodies one day are going to leave this earth. And the church keeps acting like we can just show up with the good news any old time. Where's the urgency in the people of God? Because it's not good news if it gets there too late. It's not good news if you show up at the funeral and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus one more time. Let me tell you about him. It's too late. And the church here, we're just thinking, we got all kinds of time. We don't. James says, but what is your life but a vapor that quickly appears then vanishes away? Life is short, my friend. How did we know that that director on a movie set two days ago with a camera thinking, I'm, I'm working with one of, of the elite movie stars. I've got the greatest job at 24 years old. I've got the greatest job. I'm just starting out on this job. Who knew that at 24 her life would be gone? She didn't think her life would be over. No one does. No one thinks that they're going to go to the doctor and the doctor's going to give them that horrible diagnosis. Nobody thinks they're going to get in the car or their kids are going to go to school. Nobody does, but life is short. And I'm not trying to scare us. I'm trying to say, hey, when is the church going to have some urgency about it? When are we going to say, hey, you know what? I got to get these things. I'm going to tell as many people as I can. I might not be able to tell everybody, but I can tell one. All of us can tell one. And by God, may we be obedient to tell the one. There are 75 names, and we're going to pray over those names as a church. And we're going to say, God, we want to see them saved before it's too late. Because there is a too late. And Christians like to act like there's no too late. Because we always say, oh, it's never too late. Everybody gets a second chance. Yeah, that's true. Everybody does. The Bible just says, no man knows the hour. You don't know when you're going to pass. You don't know their last day. I've shared the story where I worked in Fresno at a store called Steinmark. The store is gone. But the manager who hired me was dying. He had AIDS, and then he got pneumonia, and he was dying. He knew that I had a Christian testimony because I said, I don't work Sundays, and I don't work Thursdays because I go to church on those days. And some days in the busy season, he'd be like, hey, I need you to work. I said, I don't work Sundays. I'll come in for four hours in between our two services because I got choir and I got evening service. I'll come in for four hours, and, I'll be, and I got to get to church. And I would witness to him. I would say, Lewis, you need to come to my church. Lewis, you need to come to my church. I was 15 years old, and then Lewis got sick. He's in the hospital. And because of the pneumonia and because they had him on all, all these tubes like we had with all the COVID patients on the respirators, he couldn't speak. So we'd have to write everything down. And he said, hey, send my other supervisor's name is Tommy. He said, Tommy, tell Micaiah to come visit me. I want to hear about Jesus. And he wrote it down. And I would say, oh, I'll get to him. How bad is pneumonia? He'll recover. I didn't know how serious it was. Over and over, they would say, hey, Micaiah, did you visit Lewis yet? And I said, I didn't visit him yet. They said, he's asking for it. He can't speak, but he's writing it down. He's writing it down. And then I never got to him. And then I got the phone call that Lewis passed. You see, that memory is going to haunt me. That memory is going to stay with me because I don't know if he's in heaven or if he's in hell. And I don't want that to weigh on our, our conscience. It's going to forever weigh on Alec Baldwin's conscience what he has done. I'm not saying he's guilty, but it's forever going to weigh on that man's conscience. Now, this is going to sound heavy, and I don't mean it to be, but I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to temper this. I want it to weigh heavy on our hearts when our loved ones and our neighbors and our family members 
we know that they may spend eternity without Christ. Let that weigh on our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit weight that down in your soul. And may you carry that weight to their very door and say, I've got to tell you about Jesus. I've got to tell you. Hey, I will buy you lunch. I will take you out. I will mow your lawn. What do I got to do to tell you about Jesus? Just give me the opportunity. Just give me one opportunity to tell you about Jesus. And then you leave it there. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Because you and I don't save. Only the Holy Spirit saves. All you and I do, we're the messengers. That's all God has told you and I to do is just to tell people about church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You say, I'm not a preacher. That means to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. You and I have received it, but what are we doing with it? We cannot be the church that just sits by content with 95 adults. We can't just be the church that's content with just 10 life groups. We cannot be the church that's just content with every once in a while we have a big day. We cannot be the church that's content with building a nice little building and we just do a holy huddle. We cannot be the church that's just content with just reading one or two or three. We cannot be that church that says we're content with a few baptisms. We got to be the church that says I want one more and then another one, God, and then another one. I want to be the church that is pregnant with promise that God is going to see not only hundreds but thousands of people saved through our ministry because God's people rose up and said I will tell somebody about Jesus and I'm not just going to write down one name but I'm going to write down dozens of names and then when God gives me one I'm going to say God give me another one that was fun I love seeing people's lives change I love seeing drug addicts restored I love seeing marriages restored I love seeing the people that the world's given up on that now they have hope now they have life their life is totally restored and changed I love those stories and church we got to get addicted to seeing those stories we got to get addicted to seeing people getting baptized people coming forward giving their life to Christ. That's what we got to fall in love with. More than we love sports, more than we love comfort, more than we love churros, more than we love singing and worshiping, we've got to say, man, I love seeing people saved. And every Sunday you come to church and say, I can't wait, not for the message, not for the worship, not to see my friends, but I can't wait to see who's going to get saved today. Who is God going to save at our church? And I'm coming with that expectation that people's lives are going to be forever changed. And I'm so excited because some of you are just sitting in church and you are smiling this morning because you brought your one and you're like, they're getting saved. Holy Spirit is working on them. And today is the day of salvation is what the Bible says. Today is that day. And we're the church to say, hey, we're going to go after people and we're going to tell them Jesus loves them. He died for them so that why they could have eternity with God. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's stand. We've got to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth that's found in your word. I thank you, God, that we have a hope that we can hope against all hope that we've got an eternity that is secured with you forever. But Father, there are millions of people, 8.2 million people within 40, 50 miles of this place. They don't have that hope. And God, you've put it on our hearts to plant a church, on our heart to build a building. Why? Because we need a building? No, but because we need to fill it with people that don't know you. And we want to train them up. We want to disciple them. And we want them to go reach their family and their neighbors. And we want to send out missionaries and evangelists and pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers. And we want to see San Jose and Santa Clara County change, God. And it can only happen through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we want to see miracles. We want to see things that your word prophesies about and tells us to pray for and have expectation that you're going to do it. So Father, we come to you. We need you, God. Send your Holy Spirit to do the work we can't do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're standing. But I would imagine that there are people here that do not know Jesus. That there are people here that you say, man, this is the first time I've ever been to church. I want to ask you a question. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and if you were to pass away in the next five minutes, you know that Jesus would be your Savior, and you'd spend eternity in heaven. Can you slip up your hand? You know beyond all shadow of a doubt. You know you're on your way to heaven. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Would you put your hands down? But there were some people that couldn't raise their hand. You say, I don't know that. I now know that I'm a sinner. I've been controlling my life. But Jesus Christ, he offers the gift of salvation. And he wants to be the Lord of my life. And if I repent of my sin and receive him, then I can have my eternity secured in heaven. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is that you? Would you slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. Is there anybody like that this morning? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand in the back. Amen. There's those three hands. Anybody else? I can't see everybody. I don't want to miss anybody. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And we pray out loud for the benefit of those who are coming to God for the first time. We're going to pray it all together. Would you pray? along with me. I'll pray, and then you repeat after me. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I believe Jesus Christ. Your son died for my sins and is alive right now. I turn away from my sin 
and confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. I receive him into my life. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to control my life. I thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you received Jesus Christ in your heart, can you slip up your hand? We want to celebrate with you. Amen. Amen. We see those hands. God bless you. Amen. That is the greatest, the greatest decision you can make. Next week, we want you to be baptized. The Bible says, and they that gladly received his word were baptized. That's saying, hey, I want to make a public confession of an inward decision. And you're saying, I want to be saved. I, I, I got saved, but now I need to be baptized. You come next week. You bring some swim trunks, T-shirt. If you don't bring it, we'll have it for you in all different sizes. But next week, we're going to have it for men and women, teens and, and kids. And we're going to get baptized. And if it's hot, we'll do it in the pool. If it's cold, we'll do it in the hot tub. You got two choices. You can do a wetsuit or a birthday. No, just kidding. None of that. But here's what I want to do. Church, I know Doug's up here, and we don't have a keyboard. But we got 75 names that we need to pray over. Or maybe you have a name you want to add to that list. And I know we got people waiting on us. I know we got a lot to do in this church. But, folks, I feel so strong about this. Do you sense it? Do you sense that this is it? This, this is it, our one? And so what I want you to do is if you've got a pen, I'll have Pastor Meese come up in just a moment. But if you want to add a one to that cross, or you say, I want to go and I want to pray over a name. I think we need to have another moment of just heads bowed and eyes closed. And if you want to write down a name and you want to perforate it and you say, hey, I, I got another name I got to add to that cross. There's 75 names that I'm praying for. There's 75 names that we're believing God for. There's 75 eternal destinies that we're believing God to change. And you say, I, I got a name and I want to add it to that cross right now. You slip out. Nobody's looking. It's just you. You want to add your one. You go ahead. You add your one to that cross. You put it on there. There's a, there's a place for you to pin it to that cross. And we pray for it. And church, this is our last week in this series, and so we don't want to miss anybody. We don't want to leave anybody out. These little cards after next Sunday are no good, so you grab that card, you pass it out to somebody. This is, this is real stuff. We need to see people's lives changed. We don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. And we've got to say, Lord, we must be busy about our Father's business. We need to take this serious where we say, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And so if you want to add a name to that cross, you go ahead, you add a name. We'll give you just a moment. We'll give you just a moment. You slip out right now. You add a name to that cross. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.